This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back. Remarkable results. Radio Carm Capriato. Advancing the service aftermarket, building business acumen and personal success, one podcast at a time. <laughs> hey, are you working here? Uh, yeah. You are? Yep. Because you're in Cancun and you have to work when you come yeah. to Cancun. <laughs> it's Transformers 2022 Summit. And uh, my good friend Hunt Demarest is here. How you doing, man? Pretty good. Parmelis, uh, you may know Hunt not only as the industry's accountant from the uh, Business by the Numbers podcast on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Yeah, thanks for having me. That, that we produce. Hey, so I knew you were going to be here, so I reached out and I says, come on, let's just do an episode about the clients that you work with. Yeah, by the way, Carm did that. Give me a heads up. I said, what is this about? And he said, it'll be fine. We're just going to go with the flow. <laughs> I want to see how good this guy really is yeah. on his feet. All right. Hey, thanks to our sponsor, Napa, for providing you this episode. How does Napa support your auto care center through national marketing? Well, Napa will build upon the already successful Know How for All campaign and promote auto care offering and services to the do-it-for-me customer with support through sales driver promotions, optimized targeted media that give your repair facility an online presence on Napa Online. Now, if you're interested in partnering with Napa Auto Care and capitalizing on the Napa Know-How for All national marketing campaign, contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store. Enjoy. You deal with, uh, against so many clients, what is the big, the trend for the biggest struggle right now that people are having? So, I mean, I think the cliche one would be to talk about technician shortage universally in all of our clients all throughout the country. That's probably the number one complaint that I've been hearing. But I would say that more recently, I would say what we're seeing right now is, you know, especially since the start of COVID, this has been the best times for really a shop to operate, right? No one has been looking for work. Everyone has been booked up as far as they can tell. And honestly, a lot of people haven't really had to drive to get the sales that they want, right? It's just been falling in their lap. And I would say, and I was just talking to one of my clients here, that over the last couple months, for the first time in a while, I've started to see people that have said, man, I just didn't have that great of a month, right? The phone wasn't ringing or people were saying no. And so I would say that the biggest thing right now that a lot of my clients are starting to get nervous about, maybe they haven't experienced it yet, but are kind of afraid is, hey, we might be getting into a time where this is going to be a little bit harder. We're going to have to go back to what we used to be doing. and We have to be marketing. We have to be doing the right things on it because business is not going to fall in our lap. Thank you for saying that. I, I'm, I'm scheduling some episodes on trends and, and surviving the recession. And I, I think we're going to get together and try to do some yeah. very interesting dialogue to help the industry grapple, handle, survive. And, and, and well, Carm, I mean, it's, it's not stopped since March of, not May, April, May, May of 2020 when yeah. it really all came back and it came back with a vengeance, right? Yeah. But <clears throat> there's too many headwinds, Hunt, yeah. coming at us. And so many of the younger shop owners have never been through one of these. Exactly right. And we was, I was just actually talking to a shop. He opened in, what was it? June of 2020. And so conventionally, a lot of people would look at this be like, wait, you opened a middle of pandemic? And for a lot of industries, that would be a death sentence, right? Yeah. I opened a restaurant in June of 2020. It's like, well, that doesn't exist anymore. But like you said, if right now, he's never experienced. It's like, I opened the door, people were flying in here, and I've never had to advertise, right? Just me being there was good enough. But it's just not how it's going to be. And a lot of these guys, you know, have weathered the storm, right? We all know shops have been around for 30, 50 years. And they're like, I've been through 2008. I've been through this. I've been through that, right? They know. And I think that they have a little bit better perspective of, hey, the good times are good. 
but it's not always like this, you know? And I think especially coming from outside the industry, one of the weirdest things that I notice in this industry is the volatility of it. A lot of other industries, it's like I do a hundred grand a month, like clockwork, sometimes a little bit up, a little bit down. It's very, very standard. This industry, you can ask any person here. Some people have the best month of their career followed by the worst month of their career. And a lot of times there's no rhyme or reason to it, but it also goes into the planning of, Hey, we have good times right now, but I can't just be like, well, this is going to happen forever. I have to be cautious. I have to make sure I'm doing the right stuff because we all know it's going to go up. It's going to go down. You know, if you look at historical data and I'm not sure how far back you go, or you look at any kind of graphing on say the last two years worth of sales and then profits, there's patterns out there. Yeah. And so when the individual says, oh my God, what's going on? I just, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. It was October this year, it was July last year. Yeah. I mean, these are the, the ebbs and the tides of how business is done. Yeah. Well, especially based on where you are, right? We have a unique perspective because we have clients nationwide. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of it, especially like when the pandemic first hit, we saw an early glimpse of what was going to happen in California, right? They were one of the first ones to shut down and get really strict. But by the time that, you know, some of the other places in the country started feeling that California was already bouncing back, right? Because they saw that pent up demand. And so it was kind of cool to see that wave as it hits. And some areas never saw it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But it's so specific on where you are, not just, oh, hey, I'm at a repair shop. Like specifically, what do you work on and where are you? Guest speaker, the first keynoter on the first day here was Mike Searles. And he talked about some of the biggest companies that exist today, the biggest brands were yeah. started in a recession or a depression. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw that and I realized that there's a lot of young, I've interviewed young shop owners, you're a brand new shop owner. This is great. You got a coach. That's a wonderful thing. I heard from him said, you'd be a great interview to inspire younger people. When just start. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we signed our lease in early 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was like, we had no choice. Yeah. We had to be successful. We did all of these things to try to climb out. And we thought it was going to be the worst. I was going to lose all my money. And they survived and they're surviving and they're growing. So you're right. He said that we haven't been through anything like this in the last 60 years and we can survive this, but we have to pay attention to our business. Yeah, exactly. So my question, let me, let me go back to the original question the big struggles that you see from clients and you said the tech shortage you continue to hear, but let's move it into finance and accounting. Yeah. When you get a brand new client, what are the things that, well, Hunt, uh, I've heard you're a great accountant, love to come to work with you, but I'm really struggling to blank. What do you hear a lot? So I would say the number one thing is I want to know more about my finances, but I don't understand them. Perfect. Oh my God. That is just so wonderful. Hunt, could you do me a favor? Cover that balance sheet later. Let's just start with the profit and loss statement because the balance sheet is like me thinking I'm going to climb Everest. (laughs) (laughs) What I always tell people is like, I can teach you financials. I can't teach you to have an interest in your financials. Right. So a lot of times when I'm talking to a new shop, I want to make sure that they have an interest and they have a, a want to learn more about their numbers because what we deliver is value, but I can't just tell you it's valuable. You have to see that value as well. And I have some people that say, "Hun, I don't want to know about my numbers. I don't care. That's why I have an accountant. And I say, you want to make more money, right? Well, yeah, of course. How do you want to make more money if you don't even know how much money you're making right now? But a lot of people have been struggling for years and they're like, I don't understand my numbers. It just doesn't make sense. This is all Greek to me. And I look at their financials and how they're set up and 
the top line sales is accurate. The bottom line number is accurate, but it's set up like garbage. And I look at it and I'm like, I've been doing this a long time and I can understand most any financials. You, this is not your wheelhouse, right? You need to set this up and get it set up in a way that makes sense to you. And that's really, I think, the big life-changing, eye-opening thing of, I have so many clients that are, you know, 56 years old and they're like, I've never understood my financials of my business. But now that this stuff is cleaned up, now that it's set up in a correct manner, they're like, this makes sense, right? I can see where it's on the paper and I can see how that relates to like what is going on in my shop. And then one day it clicks. Hunt, are you seeing when the lights come on with an individual like that, when you explain to them what profit really does in the business? Because I'm making money. It's okay. Mom's got grocery money. We're fine. We're paying healthcare. We've got a great team. But I got to buy some equipment. Yeah. I need to pay my guys some more money. Do they understand that all of that comes from profit? So they understand it in the, I guess, mental aspect of it. They know that profit is important. Profit gives them stability on it. I don't think that they really understand how this goes because a lot of people have this perception and we laugh about it all the time is profit equals cash in my bank account. Because whenever I go down through and let's say I'm wrapping up a year and I say, all right, Carm, you made $150,000. Where is it? Exactly right. Right. <laughs> well, I sure as heck don't have that in my bank account. Right. right? Yeah. And so that's the really eye opening thing that then they really understand what profit is. Profit is used to pay down debt. Profit is used for your distributions. Profit is used for you to buy inventory and equipment. So yeah, there is a very good chance that you made all of this money. And then, like you said, Hunt, don't go into the balance sheet. That's where we use a balance sheet to say, yeah, you made this money. And I agree that it's not in your bank account, but here's where it went. Let me show you where it is. And yeah. that's where they go. Right. Like, hey, if you have a ton of debt, it's like, well, yeah, you have to make $100,000 in profit just to pay your debt. Yeah. That doesn't take anything else. And that's where people are really like, whoa, OK, this is completely changing not only my perspective on profit, but also my goals in general. Yeah. Right. A lot of people are like, no, your profit is good your debt service is massive or you're buying tons of equipment paying cash for it. So you could probably get the balance sheet study or learning curve done when the profit stories gets discussed well, so that you can see where the money went. Well, and I always tell people this, like balance sheet, no pun intended, is your check and balance to make sure your profit and loss is accurate. Yeah. Because just like you said, everyone wants to understand the profit and loss. No one cares about the balance sheet, right? It's a redheaded stepchild. It's like, well, I don't care about that. I just want to know how much money I make. But then when you kind of give people of like, there's a reason we give everyone a balance sheet of profit and loss. You can't have one without the other because you're only getting half the information. And so starting to see that connection on it. And again, getting this stuff set up in a way that's accurate and set up effectively. That's where people are really like, all right, I can grasp what's going on here. I can see where I'm making money, where I'm spending money, where it's going. And hopefully brings a little bit more light to their situation. Look, Hunt is, uh, I don't know, how many episodes? Any idea? That yeah. I've done? Yeah, how many? We're almost at a year. Almost at a year, yeah. And believe you me, I've been around the horn a little bit. Yeah. But I'm still learning from you. <laughs> I and appreciate it. I really am. There were some things that I knew that I had to know, but I didn't know them, if you will, wide or deep enough. Yeah. And you have this uncanny ability to describe nice and easy Without going too deep, because I don't, you're not trying to make accountants out of your yeah. uh, your clients. You're just trying to teach them how to respect the financial statements. So thank you for doing all of that. Do you ever do a statement of cash flow? So yes and no. 
primarily almost all of our clients and probably all the people that will listen to this use QuickBooks, right? And if you go into QuickBooks right now, you can run a statement of cash flow. However, we almost never, ever use that one unedited. Mm -hmm. The reason is, is because if you go and you're listening to this right now, go run your statement of cash flow. It's all there, but you're getting way too much information. And so if we actually want to do a true statement of cash flow, we'll use that as a start, but we consolidate a lot of those accounts on it. But realistically, what we do for our clients that gives them the same information is we do what's called a comparative balance sheet. One column is, let's say, the end of this most recent month, right? End of November. The other one is, all right, a snapshot of where we were coming into the year. Third column is, what is the change in those accounts? That's essentially a statement of cash flow. Okay. Do you ask your clients to do a budget? Yes and no. Depends on the ones that want to. Well, yeah, I'm not sure how much we want to dive into. Usually when I say budget, right, a lot of people are saying, well, what are we going to spend on expenses? Usually what we're doing is we're using a budget projections to set sales targets or gross profit targets. Is your P&L include the return on sales a percent? Yeah. Cool. All of the stuff we look at is percentages. Good. And to me, when I was a young person, dad would come in and he says, well, listen, you're going to be a big business owner someday. Yeah. Someday this will all be yours. Right? Yeah. I'll never forget that. And uh, I'd sit down with the accountant. A funny story, by the way, I just thought of it. I was really a young man in the business. And I think dad totally did this on purpose. The accountant came in with the monthly statements and it's in a bundle. Mm -hmm. And the accountant gave me it. He says, here's the financial statements. I'm talking to your dad about it. Look it over. Yeah. <laughs> and you're looking there like, oh, yeah. I'm looking. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I said, you have any questions? No, no, no I got this. Yeah. I took accounting in college. <laughs> and so it was about five years later. Yeah. And I never forgot that experience. Don't ask me why. I never forgot it. And I realized that when I left and closed the door, Paul and my dad were rolling on the floor, laughing, yeah. holding their bellies because, oh my God, he said, Paul, we have a lot of work to get this yeah. kid where we need to get him. But it's so true. I mean, it's like, I always tell people financials aren't worth the paper they're written on if you don't understand what they are. Yeah. Right. Because a lot of people are like, I want to see this, 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 and this. And it's like, you're making this so complicated. You're losing the entire focus of what we're trying to do here. Right. We're doing accounting for auto repair shop. This is not rocket science. And actually, if you make it too complicated, you're actually going to shoot yourself in the foot. Right. You want to see the key information. You want it set up in a format that's easy to follow. And like you said, percentages so I can compare it, whether I'm a small shop, big shop, you know, whether I have up month, down month, you know, percentages are all relative. And so they're always applicable to what you're trying to do. In your client services, do you personally talk to every client about their profit and loss or so, you call it profit or loss. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, maybe not me directly, but okay. you know, that's a huge thing on our clients. Like one of our core focuses is education on it. Hey, I want you to understand what you're looking at. I want you to ask questions. I want you to say, well, why do you want to see it like this? Not like that, because that's really where you provide a ton of value, right? The biggest thing that I hear from people that aren't clients, like if I'm doing a sales call or just talking to a shop is, you know, just like you mentioned with your dad, well, I asked my accountant what is there? And he said, don't worry about that. Like a lot of the accountants treat those financials where these are mine. I use these to do tax returns. Well, it's like, no, this is your business. This is your life, right? You need to understand what you're looking at to be able to make changes. I often have said, maybe I'm wrong. You tell me because you're the accountant. It's, it's, <laughs> no, you're right. It's the blood test on the business. Yeah, it really is. It's all the numbers. In fact, I go in for my annual. I had done the blood test, what, two weeks before. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, your numbers look great. And I say, let me see the laptop, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I go around his shoulder and I look and I go, 
all that makes sense to you? Yeah. <laughs> all those numbers. Yeah. Like, he says, yeah, you're in, you're right in the zone, if you yeah. will. But it's the same way. I mean, that just goes right to a shop, right? Because if you looked at that chart, it probably had a d- bunch of numbers that people don't really understand, but it had green, 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 green. And you knew if you saw something red on there, you're like, I don't know what 50 parts per million means, but it's red. That's not good. <laughs> I need to fix that. Right. And that's another thing that we do for our clients is give them something visual. And I always tell my clients, if you look at nothing else, we give you a report card at the end of the month. It's going to say green, yellow, red. You want to know what you need to do with your business? Look at that report card. If it's green, you probably don't need to mess with it. Focus on the red items, and that's going to tell you everything that you need to know. It's Carm here, talking to you about what the Napa Auto Care Center program can do for your business. You probably already know the Napa brand is the most recognized and trusted name in the automotive aftermarket industry. In fact, studies show that nearly 95% of consumers recognize Napa and associate it with quality parts, service, and technical expertise. So why not complete a pro-image upgrade and take advantage of that? ProImage is a co-branding program for the exterior and interior of your shop. On the outside, it includes the Napa colors and distinctive Napa signage. While the public may know you as a reliable locally owned business, a ProImage upgrade helps set your shop apart from the competition even further. It's also a visual signal to customers and potential customers that you and Napa are partners. Most importantly, Pro Image really works. This co-branding opportunity has helped Napa Auto Care Centers across the country increase their car counts and sales. In fact, those that have completed a Pro Image project enjoy an average 23% sales increase during the first year. Pro Image upgrades are also available for the interior of your shop. A Pro Image interior upgrade transforms your customer waiting area from merely utilitarian to warm and welcoming. The goal is to maintain your shop's independent identity while enhancing the customer's experience. You can get a free look at what a pro image exterior or interior upgrade could look like by visiting the Napa Auto Care members site and clicking on the pro image link under the Napa Pro Image tab. Or contact your local Napa Auto Parts store. Your servicing Napa store can tell you more about pro image, plus the hundreds of other reasons to become part of the Napa Auto Care Family, the largest network of independent automotive repair shops in the country. Okay, I'm your client. Yeah. Um, I'm getting my PL for October. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have noticed that for three months in a row, there was a an expense that was really way out of whack, yeah. maybe four or five percent too high. Yeah. Would you offer them a fix or a goal to work on that? So the biggest thing is like, let's use advertising, for example. And so the biggest thing here is numbers don't lie, but they can be misleading. And so it's never as simple as like having the hubris to think, well, hey, you need to cut that. I know everything that's going on with your business. And that's why I say this is a conversation. Hey, you know what, Carm? Your advertising has been pretty high and it's really been affecting profitability over the last couple of quarters. What's going on? Like, Mm -hmm. are you short on cars? Are you trying to grow? And that is going to be all of the details right there, right? Because that's the one big thing that I, you know, see people, what should I be spent on advertising? That's way a hard question to answer. What are you trying to do? And if they go, I got more work than I know what to do with, I'm turning people away. And I'm like, Hey, this might be a great advertiser, but you're bringing in cars. You're paying to bring in cars that you're turning away. So this doesn't make sense. I would probably go back and focus on the things that are working here. But then the flip side of it is, especially going back to what we were talking about before, Hey, you know what, Hunt? I know I'm spending a little bit more money right now on advertising. We're starting to see this because no, I am not slow right now, 
but I know this is going to be about a three-month process. So I need to ramp up and I need to go. I know that's affecting my profitability right now, but I'm okay with it. Right. And so there's two prime examples of, hey, you can't just be as simple as, whoa, you're spending 12% of your sales on advertising carb. That's stupid. Let's make sure that the numbers match up with the story of what you're trying to do here. It almost sounds like you're offering a push-pull scenario, meaning he's convincing you that what I know is going on in the marketplace, what I see is going on with the quote, 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 quote recession, I'm going to invest a little bit more. I know what happens in December, January. Yeah. I know what happens, you know, when back to school. And those charts of the financial performance help the person predict the future. Yeah. Well, it's also just a sanity check, right? You know, just being like, hey, this looks out of whack, but there could be a very good reason for that, right? And if there is a good reason, cool, we're done, move on. I needed to answer that, but you've answered my question. Other times, like I said, if it doesn't match up with what your story is, then it's like, we need to dive in deeper on that and figure out what's going on. Do you ever offer to teach somebody QuickBooks? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of our clients, you know, do their own books. We serve as an advisory role. We help them. We guide them along the ways. But the majority of our clients, we don't do full on bookkeeping, you know, and it's one of the things that we do is, and like going back, a lot of people do their own QuickBooks, have been doing it for years. They're self-taught. They maybe even hate QuickBooks because it was never set up correctly and no one's properly trained them. So we'll do a crash course on it. We'll show you how to do it specifically, you know, the easy stuff. How do you do a check? How do you do a deposit? But where we can kind of separate ourselves is, all right, here is what you need to do in the specific situation as it relates to auto repair. How do I get this information from Shopware into QuickBooks? So these are speaking the same language. How do I do in-house work? How do I do warranty work? And those finer details is what gives everyone all their issues. Like, hey, writing a check to Napa, everyone knows how to do that. Now, allocating your payroll to the proper categories with the loaded benefits, they're like, what did you just say? I know I need to do that because my coach is telling me that. And a lot of times people say, my accountant won't do that. They say, why do you care to split out payroll? It doesn't make any difference. And so that's where you can come in and train them how to do that. The most we sell on training, like our biggest block of training is five hours. If someone has never used QuickBooks in their entire life, the most we'll sell is five hours. And usually even that is like overkill. Yeah, it's like you usually three hours. They're pretty darn dangerous. And we'll use those last two hours over the course of, you know, a month or two. Hey, what about this? What about that? Hunt, is part of what you do give advice? Yeah. Okay. How many don't take it? You say, uh, okay, this is part of what we do. We mm-hmm. really want to help the business. We want to yeah. guide them. But I know that 20%, we're just going to keep doing the same old stuff. Yeah. Any idea? I wouldn't say it's easy to say this person won't take any advice whatsoever. There's a lot of situations where people come up and they say, hey, I want to have help on X, Y, and Z. And after doing this a number of years, I always, unless I know the person pretty well, I'll say, do you want me to tell you how to do that? Or do you want my opinion on it? Right. And some people are like, no, I'm already good on it. You know, I've talked to my coach, my advisor, we're good to go, which is fine. Hey, I don't need to share my opinion if you don't want it. But a lot of them, people say, well, what do you think on it? And I will give them that advice because I have a unique perspective, right? We have hundreds of repair shops, whatever you're doing. I probably have someone else that has done it. And a lot of times it's not even me. I'm like, you know what? He's done this. He's the expert on this, right? If you want, how about I just connect you to him? You can talk about it. If I tell you anything, it's really only what I've learned from my other clients. So why don't I just connect you guys and you can talk about this? Yeah, but you've got a great perspective based on the hundreds of clients that you have. Yeah. But again, you're going to talk about one specific client that has one specific solution to give to a client. 
your matchmaking solutions. Somewhat, yeah. And I, but I'll give you an example. This actually just popped up because it's been weird. And a lot of times when you guys hear this, when I record this podcast, people are like, how do you come up with ideas? This comes in bunches, right? I'll get the same questions three times in one day. And I'll yeah. be like, you know what? If three people are asking, thousands of people are probably asking the same thing. It's going to be an episode. But it's, I'm not sure what's going on. Maybe they've got rate increases, but credit card fees have been the big topic over the last two days I've been down here, right? You're joking before you're in Cancun, you're not working. It's like, you can see how pale I am, right? I've actually been in my office working or in meetings, but you see how dark I am. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. We could probably compete on this. Who's paler here? And so I've had two different clients that have came and asked me and they say, Hey, Hunt, how do I set up a credit card fee charge to my client in my shop management software? And then correspondingly, is there sales tax on that? And how do I put that in QuickBooks? Right. And so this is perfect of, do you give them advice? Or you tell them how to do something. And so on both of those, I said, all right, first and foremost, I'm not going to come back and answer your question with a question. So the first thing is I'm going to answer it. I'm going to tell you exactly how to do this, whether you need to charge sales tax or not. Now, that being said, I will tell you, I hate charging credit card fees. Why? Because I have had hundreds of clients over the years that have done this. And I will tell you, before you even need to try it, customers hate this crap. They are going to yell and scream about it. And just, you can proceed with caution, but I have to give you a word of warning on this. Instead, what most of my clients have decided to do was raise your labor rate, raise your parts margin 3%. Now you're making that credit card fee on every person, not just credit card. And then secondarily, it goes back to, you know, what we talk about a lot with financials, which is fraud. So now you're incentivizing your customers to not use a credit card. You want them to either pay you in cash or a check. Hey, sometimes people are like, oh, cool. That's actually a good way. I'm going to do that. Other people are like, all right, this is how I set up the credit card fee and, you know, Napa tracks or something like that. Safest pathway to your bank is the credit card. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, there is its own risk on it. But yeah, I mean, the most dangerous, obviously, is cash, right? I have a lot of people are like, what do you want? You don't want to be depositing $20,000 worth of cash in a week. It's one thing to do this for like a one-time charge, right? Like we got some work done on our house and it was $25,000. Like I can see in a situation like, hey, you're going to give me a check. It's a one-time thing. You know about it. It's not instantaneous. Give us a check in the next week. Yeah, That makes sense, right? Right. right. But for something like that, like you said, build it into your price. It's part of your overhead, just like anything else. You wouldn't put a rent surcharge in there, right? Because it's all included in your profit. It's a great point. Thank you for bringing that up. Maybe we taught a few people a lesson not to do this because I... If you want to be an exceptional customer service organization and yeah. be above and beyond anybody in your market, don't nickel and dime people to death. Well, the funny thing is, how many times have you done episodes on, you know, talking about the millennial generation? They don't have cash. No, they don't have a checkbook. You know, they're like, wait a minute, ask Tracy if she's got a dollar. I have a checkbook. I have actually $50 in cash. <laughs> so that $50 would take you a really far away if you're getting a transmission replaced on your car. They're like, there's a $2 credit card fee. Well, I have 50 bucks in there, you know? But think about it. It's like, you know, most of our clients are averaging, you know, $400 to $1,400 average repair order. Yeah, yeah. Who the heck is walking around that much in cash? I know. You know? It's the Venmo generation. Yeah. Really. I mean, they're sending money to each other. Yeah. Hey, thanks for uh, buying me a few drinks last week at the bar. Yeah. You know, I'll give you 20 bucks. Beep. Yeah. And it's done. And again, I'm from a different generation. And yeah. I watch what's going on with this, with the millennial generation. In fact, we talked about it at some of these seminars here at Transformers. It's just a new life. It's a new way of doing things, a new way of doing business. I would not nickel and dime your customers to death. Well, the funny thing, too, is on the flip side of it, we're actually seeing people that now get charged to deposit cash. Banks are now charging you. 
So it's like, you can't avoid this any which way. Now, most of them, yeah. it's not a hateful amount, right? It's not 3% like a credit card. But a lot of my clients I've talked to, they said, you get 10 grand free in a month. Anytime you start depositing $10,000 more than that in a month, we're going to charge you 1% or X, you know, amount per of transaction. Cash. Of cash. Because we have to count it. Exactly right. They yeah. have to count it. They have to have their own internal controls to yep. make sure that their people aren't stealing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at what's going on. They want to get rid of cash. Cash is the last, you know, other than we won't get into crypto, right? But cash is untraceable, right? Hey, I give it to you. You gave it to me. There is no paper trail. I have it, right? And so that's getting wiped out of our economy. And probably by the time my kids are, you know, old enough to be buying stuff, they're going to be like, cash? Yeah, I don't know. We like use that like in very rare situation, but nowhere takes cash. You know, that George Washington dad that you have hanging in the bedroom mirror was yeah. your first dollar you got. Yeah. It's falling apart, dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I was just at the Formula One race and there's no cash. Beers, concessions, everywhere. You couldn't even use cash if you wanted to. No They cash. got rid of it. No cash. Go to the self-checkouts at the grocery stores. There's only one cash quick checkout. Yeah. Uh, you have to do it on your own. But don't get me started on that. Oh, the self-checkout thing. stuff. Oh, yeah. Please don't no. get me started on that. Why do you even have all these lanes? And also, if you're going to do self-checkout, can they at least all be working? Really? Yeah. Honest <laughs> to God? Huh? Hi, and we're taking your picture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we have three people watching. Yeah. Oh, my. So, listen, we're so proud of the work you do on oh, the you. Aftermarket Radio Network and uh, Business by the Numbers. Any behind the scenes challenges that you've had <laughs> uh, coming up with episodes and guests and stuff? I'm not sure if the sponsors would like. It would be funny to put out an unedited one sometime. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I was always, you know, tell people and they come up oh. and it's so weird <laughs> when people are like, oh my God, hon, I, I love your podcast. And it's like, you know, I do a lot of teaching, whether it's in person or Zoom. And the biggest thing that's weird for me is the podcast is I'm in my basement, right? Usually at night recording this stuff, staring at the wall and really just talking to myself and you guys as I mess stuff up. Yeah, you're and, thinking of me and Tracy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like I record these things and I'm like, I think that made sense, right? Like most of these stuff, I have a couple bullet points, but this is just me talking off the top of my head. Now I have to give credit to you guys, right? A lot of people when they say, oh my God, that sounds so well done. I'm like, well, that's not because of me. That's in spite of me, right? You guys produce this, like we were saying. They actually slow down my voice so that it sounds like, you know, a little bit more coherent, professional. But, and you know how it is. Some of the things I'm like, you know what? I can go, I get all the ad reads. There's no issues. And then other times you hear it, you're like, I try to read that sentence five times. I'm like, yeah, this is just not my night. And then the dog comes in, yeah. you know. But I've done the same thing. I mean, you talk about ad reads and and starting over two or three times and, you know, yeah. and, you know, have a drink and yeah. slap yourself inside the face, uh, you know, and say, Peter Piper picked a pick. <laughs> How am I going to get through this? Well, and also I think the biggest learning curve for me and, you know, if you go back and listen to my first episode versus the one I'm doing now is like trying to come up with like a flow of it, right? How do I want to come across? How do I want to make sure that I, you know, hammer a point in and really making sure like I always like to give people, all right, what are we talking about? How do we break it down into something that makes you understand it without getting too much detail? And then the last one, all right, hunt, this is cool information. What do I do with this or how does this specifically relate to me and my shop, right? And so that's what, if you listen to the episodes, you might get that out of it. That's what I'm trying to do on all of these. It's like, all right, let's make sure that it's clean, concise. Now I, we laugh about this because, you know, mine go 45 minutes when I'm trying to do 20 minutes on something. <laughs> but also it's like, all right, we need to be able to do something with this, not just talk at the wall, like what I'm actually well, doing. The learning curve of your wisdom is incredible. And there isn't 
I've not heard one episode that didn't have value. You know your stuff, you care to advance the aftermarket by teaching. You can tell you're a genuine teacher yeah. and, and you care to transfer information to people. And the goal that you have in listening to this remarkable results thing with Hunt is to be sure that you get his information. It's right in our normal stream, but pay attention to his advice because not only are we giving you a lot of business acumen on our side of the coin, Hunt's giving you a lot of financial business acumen and do things with it. I mean, the ERC episode, you know, you taught me so much about that. And I spoke to a, a shop owner just Monday. Yeah. And he goes, did you hear anybody else applying for ERC? I said, did you listen to Hunt's episode? Yeah. <laughs> we, so we started to talk about it and he goes, no, I applied and I got my first check. And anyway, I took some of the principles of you discussing what if, you know, the, the, the what if scenario. Yeah. And he goes, I don't really care. Exactly. <laughs> and I talk about that in there. I'm like, hey, you know what? This Some people are going to care. Some people don't. But the cool thing is, is like you said, of like people coming up and be like, oh my God, I learned so much because that's the hardest thing for me. I, I know it doesn't look like it, but I've been doing this for 15 years, right? And so some of these episodes, it's like, I don't think it's new information. I talk about this stuff all day, every day. But then I have to like step back and be like, most people don't even think about this once in their life, right? So this is new. Yeah. And that's why I love people when they send requests of like, hey, you want to talk about this, right? I love it logically just comes from what I'm talking to my clients about. But every once in a while, someone's like, hey, hon, I've never heard you talk about this. I'm like, Oh yeah, I could do that. Right? I could talk about that in my sleep. I don't even need to do notes on it. I'll just talk for 30 minutes on it. Do you think you'll ever run out of topics? Like every single week, right? These guys can, you know, back this up. Hey, Hunt, we need an episode, right? I'm <laughs> yeah, not the best at planning ahead and procrastinating. I also like to do it live. I want to do the idea. I want to record it right then. I don't like to write it and then record later. But every single week I've run out of ideas. And then just life in general or just thinking about it and like, all right, we can do that. Yeah. Oh yeah, we can do that. See? Yeah. Or Carms always gives me ideas. Carms, if you ask Carm right now, you could come up with 15 ideas of what maybe, I could do. Just maybe. <laughs> I mean, since we've been recording, he's already said five times, Oh, that's a great idea for an episode. <laughs> yeah. You're asking me how, if I don't run out of ideas, I mean, you like, I only have 40 that I can't repeat. You have 8,000. And it's, it's amazing. 800 plus uh, episodes with remarkable results, 300 town hall academies about 130 aftermarket weeklies, plus the old For the Record show that we did about 100 weeks of that, that we put in abeyance, and CarmCasts. I mean, over 1,200 plus episodes. And to keep it fresh and to keep it going has never been difficult for me and or Tracy. And it's inspiring to know that the people that are in our network, they don't lack. Yeah, yeah. Matt Fonslow. I mean, we're slacking ideas back and forth and he, he's sending me articles that he's getting and people that he's discussing and we should do this and another movie thing. And that. Matt just keep pours it out. It's amazing the ideas, people, Tracy, that we have in the network. It's not like, sure, I'll do the podcast and it's weekly. Are you kidding? I can't do that. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's also hard too, because it's like, let's be real. It's like, all right, I'm trying to cover topics that aren't notoriously anything that anyone gets excited about, right? So <laughs> yeah. how do I give people financial and tax yeah. information, sure. but in a way that they're not going to just be like, I'm going to crash my car into a tree before I finish listening to this episode, but still going into enough details where it's like, oh, wow, I took something out of it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's me being self-deprecating, be like, who the heck wants to listen to a podcast about taxes? But it's like, hey, you're a small business owner. You need to. And when I get feedback of like, 
wow, that was really cool. Freshman in college. Yeah. What was the professor's name in the accounting class? Uh, let's not, we'll probably won't talk about that. I have no idea. I did not do well in my accounting class in college, but lucky for my clients that are listening to this, uh, your accounting 101 is nothing of like what we actually do. I know. I, I get that. And I, and I went to college for business administration and I'll, yeah. I'll never forget my accountant. I mean, EJ Brown. Yeah. And he was probably 55 to 60 years old, you know, kind of a heavy rotund guy, bald head yeah. with, you know, the half, half glasses. And uh, he was all kind of boring. And I said, I'm not going to learn a lot here because you know, I need what Hunt gives, if you will, that excitement, that, that passion. And I was wondering at the time that I was going to school, yeah, how could they, it goes back to tenure, no disrespect to teachers that have tenure, yeah. but they were just there too long. Well, and they don't really get what's going on. So the weird part about it is when I was taking accounting in college, I was already working in an accounting firm, right? So I was working at my, I was working at Part Mellis part-time, right? Cause I was still in college. Okay. I was like, oh, accounting is going to be easy, right? I already know this stuff. But then just like you said, what they're teaching you in college has nothing to do with what accountants really do in the real world, right? You're not making a profit and loss just on a piece of paper from scratch. Like that's what QuickBooks is for. Whenever I say, oh, you're an accountant, it's like, oh, you must love numbers. It's like, I'm not some weirdo, right? I'm not just like looking five, three. It's like, no, I like to look at the numbers and I like to, you know, help people understand the numbers because the numbers help them expand their knowledge and better their business, better their lives. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, the numbers are the start there, but it's just numbers. Does Hunt Demarest have a superpower? A superpower? The thing that always like surprises people is like I have just like the broadest interest in hobbies and stuff like that. I'm a curious person. And so my wife is always like, how do you know that? I'm like, I know a little bit about a lot of things. Because if I see something people talk about, I'm like, oh, what is that? And I'm always constantly curious on this, right? Whether it's skiing, diving, playing golf, working on cars, racing cars, like I just have a really weird spectrum of what interests me. How was Formula One? Formula One was incredible. Good for you. Yeah. We were, I believe, in in Las Vegas the week after that. Yep. Didn't they bring some Formula One cars into Vegas? Yeah, so they're racing in Vegas next year. Yeah. So we went to Mexico City to watch a Formula One race. And then a lot of the drivers then went to Vegas to do the promo stuff for it. So I'm coming out of the wind. Yeah. Going over to the Sands or Apex yeah. at uh, 6.30 in the morning. Trace, we started so early every day. <laughs> yeah, we went to play. No, we went to work. And there were cameras and lights and film crews. And it was blocked off coming out of this, if you will, entrance of the wind. And there was a Formula One car out there. Yeah. And there were guys down low. I mean, it was, it was, it was staged unbelievable. It had to cost $10,000 a minute to have all this equipment there. Oh yeah. And I didn't stick around because we had something to do that morning and I'm walking down and I'm at whatever Las Vegas Boulevard, wherever it is. And I'm crossing over to Apex and they turned the car on. And man, did that scream. Yeah. Did that ever, and I didn't have a chance to see what they did with it or I think they did parade it around. Well, they closed down part of the strip. I think that they had one of them. I think Max Verstappen was actually doing burnouts in one of the casinos on the floor of it. I mean, they're really excited about bringing it to Vegas. Now, I think all the tickets are already sold out and most of the hotels are already booked. The place is on fire. I mean, that big sphere. Yeah. Uh, the, the Formula One. Yeah. I think a basketball team's coming. Am I right? Uh, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. makes sense. They already have a hockey team and a yeah. football team. Yeah, there. I know. So anyway, well, enough about Vegas. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks So for appreciate all you do for appreciate the Aftermarket Radio Network. Yeah, thank you so much. Hunt Demarest Parmelis here at the uh, 2022 Transformers Summit. Working hard in Cancun. Exactly. <laughs> 
Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.